Brothers and sisters, I ask that you please turn with me in your Bibles this morning to our text, which comes from the book of Revelation. So we continue our consecutive week study in the book of Revelation. We'll be looking at chapter 14 this morning, verses 12 and 13. Revelation chapter 14, verses 12 and 13. Revelation chapter 14, verses 12 and 13. Brothers and sisters, then, please hear with me the reading of God's Word. Here is a call for the endurance of the saints. Those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write this, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. Thus far is a reading of God's Word. Brothers and sisters, last week we were introduced to to three messages from three angels, which culminated, though, in a a terrifying scene, didn't it? The scene of, of what was going to happen uh, to the wicked world, to the wicked world systems, to the wicked inhabitants of this land who reject Christ and who compromise serving creature rather than the Creator. We've seen the terrible outcome and what it will be for those who worship and serve and glorify the beast rather than worshiping and serving and glorifying the Lamb. And there will be no excuse, will there? For when Christ returns, by that time the Gospel will have gone forth to all nations. And it will have been a a testimony then against all who disbelieve. It will be a, a basis for their judgment in the end. And it will be a judgment we read about last week that is altogether different from how the ungodly believe that day will be. As we read last week, hell will be a place in which the ungodly experience the holy fury of God forever. They're going to drink the wine of God's wrath, we were told, full strength, undiluted, Right? Hell will not be a place of fun. It will not be a place of comfort, but rather it shall be a place of torment. Every day, day and night, it will be relentless as they will be inwardly tormented at the realization of their hopeless condition and how they will be hopeless forever. What makes things all the more worse for the ungodly is they think, well, at least if I get sent to hell, I will be outside of the presence of God. But we learned last week that that will not be the case. In fact, the presence of God will too be in hell. Only there, brothers and sisters, no common grace will be shown to the sinner. It will be all judgment mixed with no mercy. In there, he will, his presence will be felt in his anger and in his wrath. That is what the unbeliever has to look forward to when Christ returns. Now this message, though, is is meant to be read and heard by whom? By the church. 
And so he said what? This message served the purpose of warning then the body of Christ. Right? Warning them. Do not compromise your faith. Right? Do not compromise with the world. Right? Do not forsake your faithful witness to Christ and go off entangling yourself with the sin of this world. Right? He's saying resist at all costs knowing that what you are experiencing right now, the, the struggle you may feel, feel right now is but temporary. It is but temporary. But what you shall be with the Lamb in glory will be everlasting. And it will be eternal. What you will be with the Lamb, we, we read about in verses 1-5. to five. And even there as we read about it, we said that it, even, it can't even scratch the surface of the blissful joy that the saints will experience in glory. But the same is true of hell. Same is true of those verses that we read last week in 9-11. through 11. We said that those symbols and that depiction right, cannot begin to scratch the surface of what hell will be like for the ungodly there. And as John has done on multiple occasions, when he tells something to the saints that causes them maybe unrest or unease in their souls, he follows along behind it with a message of encouragement and a message of comfort and yet a message that will motivate the saints. And that is what we see here in verse 12. Here is a call for the endurance of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. Now we have to ask ourselves, what did these first 11 verses highlight for us? It highlighted for us that we all must leave this earth. That's what we learned through those first 11 verses. We all will die, and when we do, we will go to one of two places. You will go either to heaven, or you will go to hell. But we also learned what the dividing line between heaven and hell is, didn't we? It is that gospel. It is that eternal gospel that is proclaimed of Jesus Christ, and it is that gospel that divides sinner and saint, doesn't it? It is the gospel that will be salvation to some, and it is that gospel that will be judgment to others. But to those who confess Christ, John now says in verse 12 that you must continue to look to the gospel. You must continue to look to Christ. That is that call of endurance that he is giving to the saints. Right? He's saying, don't look back to the world. Right? Don't look back to the world. Don't become entangled with it because if you do, you may be destroyed along with it. As I read this call to endurance and as I thought about its implications, the first thing it immediately drew my mind back to is Genesis chapter 19. Genesis chapter 19. What happened in Genesis 19? It is there where God destroys Sodom and Gomorrah, right? And think back to that story. Before he destroys it, he sends some angels there, doesn't he? And he sends angels to Lot, and to Lot's wife, and to Lot's two daughters. And what does he say to them? You know, God's going to destroy the city. You need to get out. You need to flee. You need to escape. But he says what? He says, when you escape, don't look back. Doesn't he? And what happened to Lot's wife? As she leaves, as she makes that escape, She doesn't heed the Lord's call to perseverance. 
But she turns around, she looks back, and she is destroyed. Right? Lot's wife, she lived in that land. She was called, though, to go out of that land. And perhaps she looked back. Why? Maybe because she was going to miss her house. Maybe she was turning back because she was grieved over the loss of her possessions. Maybe she was going to be grieved over the loss of her friends that were there. But as she turned back, what happened to her? She was destroyed along with everything else that she looked back at and that she grieved over. And so... John is saying essentially the same thing to the saints today. That the angels said to Lot and his wife and his daughters then, don't look back. right? Don't look back. Continue to look forward to Christ. Continue to look forward to the Gospel. right? You have been called out of this world into the body of Christ. And so don't look back with sadness at what you've left behind. Don't look back desiring what you once had, that you gave up now to follow and to pursue Jesus Christ. Because what happens to Babylon? What did we read last week? Fallen, fallen is Babylon. You look back. You turn back just like Lot's wife. You may fall just as Babylon falls. Instead, brothers and sisters, we are not to defile ourselves with the world. We are to be as a virgin bride to our Savior. We are to persevere in faith and obedience. And so do not compromise. Do not forsake your allegiance to Christ. Do not be swept away by the enticements of this world. The devil is constantly putting things before your eyes to draw you back into the world. Don't be enticed by it. Don't be lured back into the world by the words of men, the doctrines of men that are meant to tickle the ears of people who sit in the pews that tell them it's okay to have one foot in the world and one foot in the church when our Lord tells us it is not. Jesus says if you love God, you will keep His commandments. It is the church who are called to do what? To contend for that once and for all doctrine that we have received. Both the commandments and the doctrine that the church has been given, the world despises. The world hates. And so yet people try to maintain peace with both. They want to maintain peace with the world. And they want to maintain peace with the church. But you cannot. There will never be a peace treaty between the two. Either you will be at peace with the devil or you will be at peace with God. But you can never be at peace with both, for they are at war with one another. And if you are at peace with God, then you belong to the heavenly army of God who now is on earth and who is to put on the armor of God and take up the the weapons of spiritual battle that we have been given by God to combat wickedness and evil in the world. We are to put on what? The belt of truth every day. The breastplate of righteousness. The shield of faith. The helmet of salvation. And we are called to pick up the sword of the Spirit. This is John's call to the saints. This is his call to, to persevere. This is his call to those who are suffering under the hands of Roman oppression here at the end of the first century. 
He calls them, He calls all of us through this exhortation to finish the race well. Right? Finish the race well, brothers and sisters, for a crown of glory awaits those who by God's grace do. In fact, then, he goes on to encourage them more by telling them that there's a blessing that awaits the people of God who endure to the end a blessing far greater than anything that you and I experience in our earthly life. And this is going to be the, the main focal point then of the remainder of our time together this morning. And it's going to be on verse 13. Please look with me at verse 13. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write this. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors for their deeds. Follow them. The prospect of an early death in the first century was a very real reality. Believers would be killed for their faithful testimony to Christ under Roman persecution. This is why, through the inspiration of the Spirit, then John writes this to those folks. But the reality is that all people since the fall have, have had to come to grips with the reality of death, haven't we? Right? Death is a part of the human condition that we all here share together. And death terrifies many, doesn't it? Death perhaps terrifies some of you here today. Surely death terrified many who were living in the first century. And so now what happens? John writes in order that he might inform them and correct their understanding of death. So that they would not view death as the world views death. Because the way the world views death causes what? Causes fear. This is why he wants you to view death as God views death. And death for the believer is the greatest or chiefest blessing you have in Christ. Death is the greatest blessing that God bestows upon the believer. It is far greater than any grace or mercy that He extends to you right now. And right now, at this moment, that might be hard to fathom for some of you. But I hope by the end of our time today that we might be able to amen that statement as we look at the chiefest blessing here, which is death. Now, the first thing that I want us to see, though, is that death is not a blessing for everyone. Death is not a blessing for everyone. It is only a blessing for some. And this is then our first point this morning. Our first point this morning is going to be, death is only a blessing for those who die in the Lord. Point number one. Death is only a blessing for those who die in the Lord. Those who die apart from Christ should have no comfort in their death. Death is a result of the fall. Death is a a consequence of sin. 
death is a penalty and a punishment for man's rebellion against God. This is though is not true, brothers and sisters, of those of you who have been drawn by our Heavenly Father to the Son by faith. This is why John can write, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Right? Death is a blessing for all who die in Christ from that point and forevermore. So this is not true, though, of you who have been drawn by our Heavenly Father to Christ by faith. This is why John writes, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Right? Death is a blessing now for those who die in Christ. When he says those who die in the Lord, that's equivalent to saying die in faith. Why is that? Well, the answer is to be found in why Christ came, isn't it? The angel declared to Joseph in his dream that Mary would give birth to Jesus conceived by the Holy Spirit and He would come to save His people from their sins. How was that salvation to be won? By His death. We can be forgiven then and we can have escaped from the punishment of hell that was our reward for sin because Christ, as the perfect sacrifice, shed His blood for us. And in our place, He took upon Himself the penalty that was due to us for sin, which included the torments of hell. But what is the only way by which we can know our sin is forgiven and that our penalty has been taken away by what Christ has done? It is only through faith in Christ. In John chapter 3, verse 36, we are told, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. In Romans chapter 6, verse 23, Paul says, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so we see that eternal life belongs only to those who believe in Jesus Christ. And so the blessedness of death lies only with being identified with Christ now. For it is in Christ that we find forgiveness. It is only in Christ that we find peace. It is only being found in Christ that we escape the second death at the final judgment. Right? Through faith we receive the benefits of Christ's work which included His resurrection from the dead. Right? Jesus is the resurrection and the life, He says. And He says to all who trust in Him in John chapter 14, verse 19, Because I live, you also will live. For in His death, Paul tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 10, that Christ abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the Gospel. It is through the Gospel. It is by faith that we receive Christ and with Him the gift of eternal life. In Christ's death, He took away the sting death has over us. Death could not hold Him in the grave. And through His resurrection, He triumphed over death. And we now triumph over death in Him. As we read in Revelation chapter 1, verse 18, it was Christ, the exalted Lamb, who now has the keys of death and Hades in His hand. And as the one who has authority over life and death and heaven and hell, He tells us in John chapter 6, verse 40, For this is the will of My Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life. And I will raise Him up on the last day. And so the only question to ask yourself is, do you believe in the Son? Right? Have you trusted in Christ? 
We must not trust in our own good works or righteousness. For if you do, you do not belong to Christ. You might identify with Him, but He does not identify with you. Your only hope for eternal life is grounded in Christ and His works alone. And so now, brothers and sisters, is the time to believe. Heaven is no time for faith, for in heaven we will live by sight. Now, brothers and sisters, is the time for repentance from sin. For in heaven there will be no more need for repentance. Now is the time to believe the Gospel proclaimed for you. For heaven you will have no opportunity more to hear and believe. But see that the only way to die in Christ, though, is to walk by Him in faith now. This is what Paul says. This is why he says to live is Christ, but to die is gain. Paul understood the, the chief blessing, which is death. Paul goes on to say in Philippians chapter 3, verses 8 to 10, this, Indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection, and may share in His sufferings, becoming like Him in death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul understood that Christ's death was death conquering. That Christ now has the sword of death in His hand. And so blessed are you who die in faith. For you have the promise, not of eternal death, but eternal life through faith in Christ. You have the promise of everlasting life with your Savior who came and who died for you. This leads us then to our second point, which is death is a blessing because at death we rest from our labors. Death is a blessing because at death we rest from our labors. Look with me please at the the second half there of, uh, of chapter 14 and verse 13. The second half of chapter 14 and verse 13. There we read this. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors for their deeds follow them. Right now, especially those of you who have, have maybe lived longer than others, have more life experience here, can attest to the fact that this life is full of tiresome labor. This too, like death though, is a result of the fall. God cursed man in Genesis 3.19 after the fall and said this, By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you are taken, for you are dust and to dust you shall return. But what we struggle even more so with is wearisome and painful striving, not so much in our physical labor, but in our wearisome and tiresome and painful striving in this world against sin. And sadly, too often, we know what it is like to to fail and to give in to sin, even when it is not our desire to do so. 
We all know what it's like to, to read Scripture in the morning and to be encouraged by God's Word and to want to live your day glorifying Him in everything that you think, say, and do. But before you know it, when your kids make you angry and without hesitation, you sin against God in anger. Or you're driving to work and maybe even listening to a sermon on a Christian podcast and, and you are being sanctified by it and all of a sudden someone whips around, cuts you off in traffic and before you know it, you have sinned in your thoughts or in what comes out of your mouth. These are just two small examples though of what the Christian deals with daily. Right? We can start our day encouraged, but by the end of the day, we can be so very discouraged by our sin. The Christian life is a life lived in daily struggle against sin. Enticements to sin are everywhere around us. And so what are we called to do? Right? By the strength of the Spirit living inside of us, we are to be combating sin. We are to be killing sin in our lives. We are to be extinguishing its remnants that remain in our hearts. And we do that many ways. First of which is keeping our eyes always fixed upon Christ. But also then in practicing what we have received and heard in God's Word, which is His will for us. Right? Obeying the commandments of God. Attending weekly corporate gathering of God's people at church to be fed by the Word each week. Right? Receiving the ordinances of baptism and the Lord's Supper. Right? Reading the Scriptures, praying daily and often. Renewing our repentance daily for the sin that we commit. Right? You're going to be those who are diligent in your reading of Scripture. You're going to be those who are diligent and devoted to prayer. You'll be those who renew your repentance daily because of the sin that you commit. Right? We're going to be people who obey the will of God, which means loving our enemies, praying for our enemies, not repaying evil for evil, forgiving those who wrong us, right? submitting ourselves to the authorities God has placed over us even when we don't like it. And brothers and sisters, even for the redeemed, even for those who have the Spirit living inside of us, that is so difficult sometimes, isn't it? It's so difficult sometimes to obey what God has been calling us to do. And it's not always difficult because we are physically tired, is it? No, sometimes it's difficult because the reality is we just sometimes don't desire to do it. And so, brothers and sisters, this is why we ought to see death as a chief blessing for the people of God. Because it's at death that that struggle and that toil and that labor and that failing and the giving into temptation ceases. Right? It ceases at death. And so, I ask you here today, do you not long for death then? Right? Do you not long for it? Maybe there are some of you here who don't. Maybe there are some of you who fear death and don't long for it. And the reason, though, for that probably then is because you're not toiling and struggling and laboring against sin in your life. But brothers and sisters, for those of you who are, by the grace of God, know then that heaven will be a place of rest for your souls. Right? Heaven will be the place where all your worries shall cease. Heaven will be the place where you are delivered from your every struggle against sin. Heaven will be the place where you will be delivered from all the fears 
that are inside of your heart that only you know about that keep you up at night. And every Lord's Day, it's a reminder, brothers and sisters, that there is that eternal rest that awaits the people of God. Right? We rest in Christ on the Lord's Day in a peculiar manner, in a peculiar way, spending the day with our Lord, ceasing from our practices of the other six days of the week, which is what? It's the pattern that God Himself set up for man at creation. As He worked six days and rested once, He calls upon us to do the very same thing. But now as we rest on the first day of the week, it is a reminder of what? That just as God concluded His work of creation and rested, that Jesus Christ our Lord has concluded His work of redemption and now rests. And we are now to rest in Him and in His finished work, trusting that it is His work and His work alone that will gain us entrance into that eternal rest. And what a glorious thing it is, though, to to join in with the saints on the Lord's Day as we have a foretaste of what heaven will be like every Lord's Day that we gather together. We have a, a taste. He gives us droplets upon our tongue so we might know something of what heaven shall be like. And take notice of how the Spirit ends verse 13. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, they may rest from their labors, for their deeds will follow them. A couple things to be seen here then. Our deeds do not lead us into glory. Your deeds do not lead you into glory. They are not the reason you enter into glory. They follow behind you. Why? As evidence of your true and saving faith. right? That trail of deeds that will follow behind you will be a testimony to all that you have lived and that you have died in the Lord. But when we enter, we will enter because of the deeds of of one man. And that one man is Christ. right? Paul says in Romans chapter 5, verse 19, For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners... So by one man's obedience, that is Jesus, the many will be made righteous. And so let us, let us trust in the efficacy of Christ's work. Let us trust in the person of Christ. But let us also see that those who trust in Christ are those though who do what? Who do good works. We do good works. Paul says to Titus in Titus 2.14, that Christ gave Himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify Himself a people for His own possession. Why? To be zealous for good works. Brothers and sisters, there will be no entry into heaven for those who think that they will get there on the basis of their works. But also see this. There will be no one who gains entry into heaven, who says they have saving faith, but they do not have a trail of works that follow them. In heaven, you will rest from your labors in this world. In heaven, you will rest from your struggling and your toiling. But what does that imply? That you toil and that you labor now. 
Right? That's what that implies. That you do the struggling and the toiling and the labor now in your life now. Right? That now you are storing up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Brothers and sisters, the Lord right now, as He tells us in the early chapter of Revelation, right, walks amongst His people. He sees everything that you do and He cares about what you do. I do not think because I have been saved by the grace of God that what I do then no longer matters because it does. Your works do matter. They show the genuineness of your faith. They likewise glorify God. Right? God can use your good deeds to draw people to His Son. Your works can benefit your neighbor. Your good works can benefit the believer in your midst. And so if you enter into glory today, I ask you this. Would you have a, a long trail of deeds that would follow behind you? If not, brothers and sisters, I say, repent. Right? Repent and start laboring for the Lord in your life. Being obedient to His commandments, maintaining your faithful witness to Christ. And just think about how sure then we can be about this blessing that we will receive. You know, oftentimes people promise us things and people tell us things and we don't believe them. Why is that? Because people lie to us, don't they? It's hard sometimes to trust people. But brothers and sisters, we can be sure of what is said here. Why? Well, because it is the Spirit Himself who says it. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds will follow them. There is no reason to fear then. There is no reason to be uncertain, for we have the sure Word of God. He tells us this will be so. And so we ought to believe it. This leads us then to our third and our final point this morning, which is, those who live and die in Christ must not fear death. Those who live and die in Christ must not fear death. Isn't it true that we fear what we don't know? We fear what we don't know. And so, if you want to extinguish the fear of death that you may have, then what you need to do is start thinking more often about what you do know about death. Think about in Job chapter 14, verse 1. We're told this. Man who is born of a woman is few of days and full of trouble. When your children here were born, they probably came into the world crying, most of them. That's a good reminder of Job's statement here, isn't it? That we are born into a, a sin-cursed world. We come in crying, don't we? Well, brothers and sisters, I want us to see this. The Christian then should not fear death because death is a change of place. Right? Death is a change of place. Right? This earth is not your home. Isn't this what Paul tells us? Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, that our citizenship is in heaven. And so death what? Death is a going home. I don't know about you, but when I travel, 
after about a week's time, I want to get back home, right? I'm tired of, 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 of spending time in other places outside of the, the comfort of my home. I want to return home, which is why we don't have to fear death, but welcome death and, and want to death, because at death, we will be home. We will be home. Right now, brothers and sisters, we engage in spiritual warfare daily. And as we just heard about, it is, it is a tiresome work. Well, in heaven, brothers and sisters, there will be no more need of spiritual warfare, but rather, what will the saints do? Well, we will sing and gather and praise the Lamb as we read about earlier in chapter 14, verse 3, as the, as the, the, the saints, the 144,000, are gathered around the Lamb singing that victorious and that triumphant song. Likewise, we ought not to fear death because at death we will leave these weak, fragile, diseased bodies which oftentimes hinder us, don't they, from enjoying life. But at death we will leave these bodies. And at death, when you, have a, when you enter heaven, you will be in unchangeable rest. Right? There will be no more aches. There shall be no more pains. For there... Christ is the only medicine that you will need. And before you enter into glory, He will cure you of your every infirmity. I mean, think about Revelation chapter 21, verse 4. What is it that we read there? He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. And the former things have passed away. I want you to think about right now everything that you enjoy in this world. And I want to tell you that in heaven, in every way it shall be better. Right now, what do you enjoy? Maybe you enjoy your home. In heaven, you will enter the home of one whose designer and builder is God. What do you enjoy? Your freedom? In heaven, you will enter into a true state of freedom where you will only desire and want to do that which is right. In heaven, there will be better riches. In heaven, there will be better pleasures. In heaven, you will have greater comfort and peace and love and joy. Right now, you know what it's like to feel distant from God, don't you? You know what it's like to feel as if God is displeased with you, don't you? Because of sin. In heaven, that will be no more. God's nearness will be everlasting. And He will be with you forevermore. Never again feeling as if your Savior is distant. Unlike in earth, in heaven, you will enjoy God perfectly. How can then death not be the greatest of all blessings, I ask you? How can it not be the the chiefest of all blessings and one that we ought not to fear, but rather one that we ought to look forward to and welcome when the time comes? Brothers and sisters, 
as a remedy against fear and worry. When the, the anxieties spring forth and you start to worry about death, and it causes you to, to lack seeing the utter blessedness of heaven, I call upon you to, in those moments, think about Christ and think about Christ crucified. This is what the Israelites were called to do. If you remember in, in Numbers 21, do you remember there that the Israelites are angry with God and they're angry with Moses because he brought them into the wilderness? So why are you bringing us here to die? And so what does God do? Do you remember Numbers chapter 21? He sends serpents. And they strike the people and they bite the people. And some of them die. And what was the response of the people? They go to Moses and they ask Moses to intercede for them. Hey, Moses, will you go to God and will you pray on our behalf that He might make this to stop? And so what does Moses do? He goes before the Lord And he asks the Lord this. And in Numbers 21, verse 8, this is how God responds. He says this, Make a fiery serpent, set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent, he set it on a pole, and if a serpent bit anyone and he looked on it, he would live. What happened, brothers? And sisters, when they were bit, they were told what? Right? When they were bit and had that fear, they were not to look at their bite marks. They were not to look at the, at the painful suffering they were to endure, but rather they were to do what? They were to look up. They were to look up. And this is the same call of every one of you here today. If you begin to fear death, don't look at the fear that you have. Don't, don't look at your self-pity. Don't look at your sorrowful condition. But rather, look up to Christ. Look up to Christ. This is what Jesus Himself says in John chapter 3, verse 14. And as Moses lifted the serpent up in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And whoever looks on Him and believes shall have eternal life. Because of the frailty of our nature, I'm certain there will be times in which we fear death. But when that arises, brothers and sisters, we need to look to Christ, believing that in Him you have eternal life. And I ask, if you are complete in Christ, what need is there then for you to be scared? If you are complete in Christ, why be scared? Why worry? Another remedy against fear then is this. Remember... Remember the saints who died well in Scripture. Remember the saints who died well in Scripture. Think of someone like Simeon in Luke chapter 2 when the infant Jesus is brought to the temple and he holds him in his arms. What does Simeon say? Now my eyes have seen salvation. I am ready to depart in peace. I have one other example. Because not only is it good to look at the saints in Scripture, but it's also good to look at our other brothers and sisters throughout history who have died well, right? who have endured to the end. One other person I think of is the German uh, theologian Martin Luther's daughter, uh, Magdalena. 
She was on her deathbed at 13 years old. Everyone knew that she was going to die. And as Luther approaches her, he says to her, My little girl, would you rather stay with your father here on earth? Or just as gladly go to your father in heaven? And she answered, Yes, dearest father, as God wills. Think about how powerful that is. This is a girl who wasn't going to get married. She wasn't going to have children. She was never going to have grandchildren. And yet she, if God wills my death, so be it. May we view death in that same manner. May we view death in that same manner. That we see death now, after seeing our text today, as the chiefest of all blessings. And that in realizing that, we would not fear death anymore. Brothers and sisters, I call upon us all, approach death like a Christian. And approach death like a Christian. So that when your time comes, you die well. And that you use that time to glorify your Father who is in heaven. But you will not be able to do that unless you start to prepare yourself for death now. Remember, brothers and sisters, that the day of death is a day of triumph for the believer. It is a day of rest for the believer. It is a day of freedom and a day of total satisfaction for all of those who die in the Lord. The day of our death ought to be a thing that the world envies. The world ought to look upon you when you die and envy and wish they could die in such a manner. And so let us recognize that our dying day will be your best day. And as we reflect upon death, and as we reflect upon the promises that we have of God in our death, may we all be able to say along with Solomon in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 1, the day of my death is better than the day of my birth. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. It is so comforting and consoling to the hearts of your people. Uh, we thank you for it so much. It is so dear. It is so dear to us. Help us to, to grip your words tightly and to hold them very near to our hearts. Help us, Lord, to cast out all fear and doubt, not because we are confident in our own works, but we are confident in the one who suffered and died and merited heaven in our stead for us. Father, cause us to set aside all thoughts of, of exalting ourselves and pride. Cause us to be humble. Cause us to be those who see our weakness and our sheer dependence 
on Christ. Help us to be those who die well, who die like Christians, and who die glorifying our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And it's in His name that we pray. Amen.